0: Black, Insider Bengals podcast, newest Bengals cornerback, Trey Waynes. Trey, how you doing, bud? good. how are you? Our special guest is Hall of Fame offensive tackle, former Cincinnati Bengal Anthony Munoz. I think we have the making of a you know, pretty good
1: offensive line, a young in a couple positions.
0: Hello, Bengals fans. I am Matt Minnick, and this is Shock Talk. Former Bengals defensive back. And current NFL media member Solomon Welchot. I remember twenty fifteen wasn't that long ago. I think we had one of the best the in the National Football League. Yes, Mr. Duhani Jones. Well, how are you doing, Mr. Jones?
1: I'm doing all right.
0: Thanks for having me on the show. You see, you see my, see my jersey, everything. Yeah. We were focused, and the coaches
2: did a really great job. The
1: coaches had a really good plan, and <clears throat> honestly, our attitude, I feel, is what carried us over. You know. We,
2: Nine years in the league, 31 years old, still going strong. I think the results kind of speak for themselves. Mike, it's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on again. Bengals
0: director of player personnel, Duke
2: Tobin. Yeah, we're going to build the draft board out all the way from top to bottom like we always do.
0: Former Bengals quarterback, Ken Anderson.
2: Do you look at today's game and think I can complete 95% of my passes?
1: I would love to be playing today. I would have had to learn the shotgun. You know, that's something we didn't really do with Bill Walsh. I think I could have handled it, though.
0: What's up, everybody? It's Listener Questions live on Friday afternoon. I'm Anthony Kazenza, joined by John Sheeran. Gave you a little extended intro there. Hopefully, it came through loud and clear and visually clear for you. Trying a little something new on the uh, on the streaming platform here as we go live. Hopefully, that came through for you. John, how you doing, bud? Long time no talk. We had the big show last night, which was a lot of fun, but good to see you again.
2: Yeah, If for people who don't know, we had a, a roundtable discussion with our own uh, Matt Minnick and Zim Hude, and that was a lot of fun, but that intro was kind of cool. Uh, I, I didn't realize how many trash mustaches i had in the last year or so but it was it's nice to see all those all those great interviews at the past. that was, that was yeah. pretty cool
0: yeah and we've got we've got even more so we're going to kind of chop that up and do do a few more and you know we've yeah we've got a, we've got a, we've had a lot of big people on this show which is just sometimes you look back and you go oh wow it's pretty crazy but we're, we're pretty stoked on that and uh we're trying some new things out, like I said, with this with this streaming platform, so hopefully that came through audio-wise and video-wise. Hope that came through loud and clear for you. We will be fielding your questions today, so get them to us in a number of different ways via email, theobinsider at gmail.com, call or text 949-542-6241. We have a number of live chats going, whether it's on a post at cincyjungle.com Um, I I believe through Twitter, you can submit live, live comments as well. The Facebook chat on Cincy Jungles, Facebook page and our YouTube channel, all of those. There's no excuse. If you got a question, give us a question. It's Super Bowl week. A lot to get to. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you bat lead off here, John. I know we've got some that are queued up. I don't know if, uh, I'm not seeing too many quite yet coming in on the live chat. So maybe we'll get some of those in a minute, but, um, let's let you bat lead off. Where do you want to go? My friend?
2: So let's get a text from Cincinnati from Sean. And he's asking if the Bengals are planning to cut players, why haven't they done it already? (laughs) Um, Because it's because it's February and you don't need to offload contracts until you see a best fit. It's kind of like remember when Zach Taylor first came here in 2019. It was like, when are they cutting perfect? You know, it was so obvious that they're going to do so. And they waited until like March to do it and they did it. And that's. About about when free agency starts is when we can expect guys like Bobby Hart, B.J. Finney, and then maybe even Geno Atkins uh, try to find a new team. Do you think
0: that – I saw this question, and do you think that this – like, you know, the NFL is kind of this uh, fraternal – type of deal where a lot of guys, even on different teams, they know each other. They talk to each other. They talk about other players. Yeah. They don't want to divulge too much as to what they're doing, but these guys know each other and they talk a lot. A lot of them are friends, you know, coaching trees grow from people that know each other. I guess my question is, you know, do they use at some point, some of, some of the spring time to, to figure out, Hey, you know, they're talking about maybe unloading this guy or, Oh, this guy got into a little legal trouble at this point. Maybe it's a guy we target or, You know, and and so they kind of line things up and then they use that legal tampering period shortly before free agency begins, quote unquote, to to kind of then shed some of these contracts, make room for what they believe they need to create space wise to sign some of these guys. That was the thought I had today. Am I going crazy by thinking that or I I don't know?
2: No, I I think right now, like they're just using this time to finalize the roster evaluations obviously and then prepare for what they're gonna do, what their attack strategy is. And that's that includes getting getting rid of guys that they don't deem valuable anymore. And like those that's communication is gonna go on. And like even Carlos Dunlap was on, I think, Radio Road today for CBS Sports. And he was talking about, yeah, like it seems like AJ and Gino are gonna be gone too. Like I guarantee that you know Carlos who has played with them for the past 10 years, they pretty much like they, they know like what their future holds and That's just being communicated. It's going all through the league. And then we just hear like, like the rumors that are substantiated or not. And we can kind of make these best guesses, but yeah, all this stuff is going on right now. And it's, it's all but official, but it's not going to be official until it really has to be. So
0: let's keep moving on here. Good friend of the show, Chris Hubbard. If the Bengals use the franchise tag, better to use it on William Jackson or Carl Lawson. I tend to think Lawson because pass rush, I mean, they're still both kind of premium positions, but I think if anytime you got a guy that can rush, rush the passer, and we've got a a good potential follow-up question on this too, but uh, in terms of Carl Lawson, but um, I think, I think pass rushers are just at a premium. It's kind of like, you know, offensive line, you build your defensive line, you have your quarterback. I don't know. That's just kind of my opinion. I, but cornerbacks cost a pretty penny too, and you need good ones there.
2: So, we don't know exactly what the numbers are going to be for the franchise tags at each position, but considering the cap is only going to be lowered and the top salaries haven't increased as much compared to what the cap, how much the cap moved edge rusher is still going to be more expensive than cornerback. Like on over the cap, they're projecting the, the tag for defensive ends to be about 17 million and for cornerbacks just under 15. So financially cornerback could be slightly cheaper because that's how the top salaries are. At those two positions but if you're talking about who should they be more desperate to keep at least for just one more year it should probably probably be Lawson mm-hmm. w- but at the same time you know it, we can go back and forth on this there's so many things that kind of like balance each other out and it's almost like a tug of war in terms of decision making like William Jackson is a little bit older and you don't know how many more high-end years you're gonna you're gonna get out of him so if you're uncomfortable giving him like a three or four year new new deal and he plays into his 30s maybe you tag him to see if he has like a, another good year. And then you can you can kind of push that decision down the road and just focus on getting Lawson long-term because he's a little bit younger.
0: That would be the ideal situation for me. You franchise William Jackson and you keep Carl Lawson long-term. And I think also you look at the positional need. I think there's just more edge rusher, pass rush need on this team right now than, than corner. And there still is a big need at corner with William Jackson being an impending free agent, Mackenzie Alexander being an impending free agent. But you know, at this point, if you if you decide, if you're the Bengals and you decide to let William Jackson walk, you have to be extremely confident that Darius Phillips is going to take the next step in his development as a boundary corner. And then you have to really be confident that Trey Waynes is going to come back and give you a full, if not a very close to a full, effective season as the other, other boundary corner cornerback. Uh, and then you have to find a slot replacement if you let Alexander walk. So there's needs there. But, you know, I think... I, I, I think you would be better served and it sounds like you agree that Lawson's kind of the guy that you, you prioritize and if you, if it has to come down to keeping one and by keeping one only by franchise tag, I think by a slim margin, unless I'm speaking out of turn for you, Lawson would win Win that argument.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you keep one, you keep Lawson. whatever you have to do to do it, you do it. So let's, let's kind of stick on that theme. Let's get it to an email from Brian from Bowling Green. And he's asking about. So, since the jungle, um, we, we posted an article about Carl Lawson today, and we had an interview with Ace Boogie, who also since the jungle zone. And he, he said that, you know, we, we talked about Lawson in the show, and he basically said that, yeah, like for most of the season, Carl Lawson was essentially told not to use all of his moves in his repertoire as a pass rusher. And when it came down to that week 15 game against the Steelers, Lawson kind of just let go and just kind of unleashed. His full arsenal, and he ended up having the best game of his career. So he's asking, doesn't this raise eyebrows? And doesn't the coaching staff have to answer to the ve- to the validity of this statement? Also, does that make Carl Lawson want to leave? Seems like this may have taken place with Carlos as well. Is anyone else concerned about this? Are we in too deep, this offseason? So yeah, like it was a report. We don't know how true it was, but that's essentially the gist of it. But I I don't know if this tells us anything that we didn't already know about Lou and rumo and the coaching staff. That was a little dis, uh,
0: a little concerning about uh, this, this, this report. And I, if if it's true, and I tend to believe, I mean, Ace, Ace seems to be a, a pretty well connected guy. He's got a couple of sources, and you know, he's used those sources and other connections that he's had to, to have some great names on his show as well. Uh, the the new the New Stripe City and Orange is the New Black podcast. So, I mean, I tend to think that. You know, he's he's got a good connection here that at least has some of that that accurate information and I would have no idea as to why Lou Anaruma would, would tell that to would tell that to uh, Carl Lawson. I don't know I don't I wouldn't know the reasoning other than if he sees those moves and he just feels that they're not effective. Um I I don't know. I I don't really get that. It's just more damning information against Luanna Rumo, I guess, in in some of these fractured relationships. And I do worry that that may be another guy that says, yeah, you kept him. I'm sure Carl Lawson had a very close pulse as to what the Bengals were going to do in terms of coaching changes this offseason. So uh, that worries me a little bit. That worries me a little bit, especially what happened this last season with Carlos Dunlap.
2: So I think there's some shred of truth to it because I don't believe ace is a liar and I believe the sources are pretty well connected but we don't know the entire story but also like again it doesn't surprise me too much knowing what we kind of know about in a room already and as far as if that would make loss want to leave um if they pay him well I think he stays around I think that's the biggest indicator of that and, and I don't think he's going to be demoted like Carlos was because they have nothing else at that dresser so he's valuable and he's going to get paid like it too so I think that Will matter more than anything else, especially because Anna Rumo's going to be on the hot seat anyways, and he he might even he might not even be around for the entirety of Lawson's deal.
0: Yeah, I you know, it, it's it's one of those things as to when you keep a coach um, who was kind of on the hot seat or kind of wasn't a a endearing himself to some of the people either in the locker room or the fan base. You know, these are the kind of things that come out, and then you look at free agency and you, you begin to kind of wonder, oh boy, how, how big of a role does this play or does money trump all, does the contract and respect by the organization trump that? And uh, if if the Bengals show that respect to Carl Lawson if, and they they pay him some, some good money, John, do you think that that tune by the Rumo changes and says, you know what, okay, with the, this team paid you quite a bit of money, do whatever you need to do? I mean, I, I don't really see that. He seems to be a very, by reports, I've never talked to him or met him or anything, but he seems to be very... Kind of staunch guy about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't really have a choice. Uh, it's, it's just, it just it's just—it just yeah, it just seems like he doesn't really like anybody on this defense, which is just kind of funny. But we'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, we've got a call. I think we briefly lost him, but uh, I believe he's back. I think it's uh, Terrell back joining us on the the Orange and Black Insider. Terrell, are you there?
1: Oh yeah. How, how you guys doing?
0: We're doing well, man. Good to hear from you again. It's been a little while since we've done one uh, of these episodes, so glad to glad to have you call back in.
1: Oh yeah, you already know. But uh I just real quick I just wanna just uh say that the popularity that that the Bengals get towards um the Pro Bowl sometimes be despectful towards me because I'll take Jesse Bates over Buddha Baker and all on any damn day. And then the first thing and then the other thing I was gonna say is, uh, y'all y'all sway me. It, it Jamar Chase, man, he, he's mm. a man. Y'all you persuade me. Okay. And um I and I think it's a will, Chase, trade down to get pitched, or a bus.
0: That's your order?
1: And that's my order. Okay. And um but but uh, I got friends of mine that tell me about Del and uh and Slater and um and another thing I just hope they do good at Free again. And um the, uh I I wanna I want y'all to write this on a notepad. I wanna know, John, we from the Natty. I know I wanna know y'all top five UC uh wanna know his top five U C players and from and Anthony says you from the West Coast. I wanna know your I wanna know your top five U USC players.
0: Okay. Okay, and that's a that's they, a put that
1: on the put that put that on notepad, maybe later on in the summer or something like that. Okay. But I just I
0: like that. I like that, that. cool. Well, well, we'll get we'll get to that. I mean, I, we could probably mention a couple right now, but we'll get to that. And then also, we we're going to tie your question into some we've got about Sewell and Slater and stuff too. But good to hear from you as always, Terrell. Have a good weekend, bud. Enjoy the Super Bowl. You got you got a you got a pick in the Super Bowl. Uh,
1: I, I do got the Tyreek Keto. Is it, it, becoming one of the, my favorite players. Okay. Just, and um, and, and I got love for the Kelsey brothers just because they they from they from
0: BC. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, he's got the Chiefs. Thanks, Terrell. Appreciate it. Uh, Terrell's got the Chiefs. I know, John. Yesterday, you said in the Super Show that you've got the Chiefs as well. I, I uh, you know we'll see what happens there. I think it, it's going to be actually a pretty entertaining game. I don't know. I, I mean. I guess you could kind of say, do you have a favorite UC guy? Top five, I'd have to really think about that. But uh, do you have like a guy that's like, oh, UC, that's that's my guy, the top guy. Is it Kelsey?
2: If Kelsey's not one. I'll, I'll get to one in a little bit. But Kelsey definitely is top five. Isaiah Pede, the running back oh, from yeah. 10 years ago, he's up there. Both Zach Claris and Tony Pike are up there. My number one guy of all time, though is Marty Gilliard. And for yeah. UC fans, they, they remember who he was and how special that he was. I thought he – I you know 13 year old me thought he was going to be so amazing in the NFL, but you know, he didn't last very long there but that that is a UC legend in my heart Marty Gilliard
0: I remember Marty Gilliard and Isaiah Peed and you know you know a lot of Bengals fans wanted those guys and rightfully so but man I just what happened to them in the pros just I I kind of expected a lot more out of those guys but uh some good names to be sure we'll have to we'll have to kind of do a little homework and do our top five
2: connor barwin an honorable mention
0: yeah that's a a good player yeah let's let's tie a little bit of what terrell said into a question here in just a second before i get to that i just want to remind folks we are taking texts and phone calls 949-542-6241 you can tweet us at bangles obi you can send us an email the ob insider at gmail.com you can use one of, I think, four <laughs> live chats, whether it's through the, the Twitter accounts we've got, we're streaming to our Orange and or Black Insider YouTube channel, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, or the post on CincyJungle.com. So, no excuses. Get your questions in. We're going to be here a little bit longer, and we appreciate your feedback and your candor with us. We like talking Bengals on a Friday right before the Super Bowl. So, Terrell mentioned Slater, Derisaw, um, obviously, Sewell. I think yesterday, I, I kind of said Sewell right now based on nothing happening in free agency yet and just where the Bengals currently are. Sewell's kind of my top pick based on what I've watched from him out here on the West Coast. Uh, Chase, I think, is a very close second for me based on talent, need, all of that stuff. Um, and then you've got, you know, Slater's now entering the conversation. saw maybe a little bit later if you move back. So there was also a question from Derek in lucasville via text saying if sewell's gone by number five is slater actually worth that pick or is that a reach to the Bengals need to move back at that point you had a very interesting tweet video john that i found to be very well done about this uh and i'll, I'll link that in the live chats here but um you know if you want to kind of reference that a little bit on your take with all of these guys
2: i think if sewell's gone like the question isn't if, if Slater's worth it at that point. Like Slater has to be worth that pick if if Sewell is still there in order to actually make it. You can't take Slater just because pene Sewell's gone. That's not how any team in the top five should should work the draft. If you're drafting the top five, you need to make sure that that player, in your eyes, is worth it. And if you take Slater there, it shouldn't even matter if Sewell's on the board. With that said, I don't know how you take Slater unless you believe in all your hearts that he not only is better than Sewell right now, but he's going to stay better than Sewell for the better part of their careers, maybe his entire career. And I don't know if anyone really has that take. I, I, I know that the hype with Slater right now is that he is, in fact, a better player than player than Sewell because his tape is just a lot more cleaner. And I think that's pretty objective. But that doesn't take away anything from what Sewell was at the same time that Slater played. Like Sewell is just a more dominating player. He's He's younger. He's bigger. He's more athletic. And those guys that are drafted that high, who are that strong and have all those other qualities, they typically end up being really special players. That's the, that's that is the type of player that you typically draft at five. With Slater, I don't think it's a it's a bad pick. It's not picking a bad player, but what it, what value are you really getting with a guy who's probably as good as he's ever going to be? And it's a really good player, but it's like taking Isaiah when at fifth overall. You know, it, it's a solid player. He's not going to be a, a liability by any means. But are you really getting like the the bang for your buck, I guess. And I think that's where the question of Sewell comes back into play.
0: So it's, it's more, I, I what I gathered from, and I, I'm, I got to find this tweet video from you, but um, what I gathered from that is basically right now, Slater is a better by by most people's standards in film review. Slater seems to be a better tackle to play at this moment in time, right now than Sewell. However, the upside and the overall talent and, what Sewell can become down the road, whether that's a year, two years, three years, what have you, that is where the, the Sewell argument potentially wins out. I mean, am I get, kind of gathering that, uh, which, which I, 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 I agree with. Yeah.
2: Like just imagine like Slater is going on th- this linear curve. That's like slightly upwards, but it's not going to be that much higher in like five years. Sewell on like almost an exponential curve so he might be like lower at this point in time but you don't draft guys for the sake of right now anyways you have him for five years and with Sewell he's going to be like 24 25 by the time his next extension comes you can have prime Sewell for like 10 years or so before he turns like 30 like that is the long-term investment that you need to make at that spot and he is the, the type of talent that you are comfortable investing with a top five pick
0: if you had, so I, I said basically yesterday on the Super Show, I said Sewell, Ch- Chase, right there, just based on where where the Bengals are at this point in time. Sewell, Chase, and then I had like you know Slater, Pitts, you know those, those guys kind of a- after that, um, based on need, talent, all that stuff. What, where do you have a a pecking order at five as we sit here right now, early February for the Bengals?
2: I think the uh, I think those the- names. Like the top three are just very interchangeable. Like it's Sewell, Chase, and you can throw Kyle Pitts in there. I yeah. I just think that all three of those guys are going to check every box that the Bengals have, and it'll it again. They're going to be one A, one A, one A. Like that, that that's like the that's how they put their board together. They have like one A, one B, one C for first round players. They're all going to be one A. And it, even if I guess Sewell is still technically higher on the board than Chase, it's just going to depend on who they really need more because they're the same quality of player.
0: Well, we spent a little time on that because there's basically two or three people asking us about those, those questions. So we wanted to spend a little time, John, I'm going to, I'm going to dig up or if you have the, okay, I'm going to dig up that tweet from you. Cause I thought that was uh, a really good video, much like the Jamar chase one you put out a couple weeks ago on Twitter too. So those are, those are fun ones there where I, I think I grabbed that last one. I don't know. You see one here that you want to, you want to get to.
2: Yeah, since we're on a line, we have a question from Darian Harris on YouTube. He's asking, what about Akim Hedeneji? What do we do with him next year?
0: I In, in terms of what? I mean, I, yeah. are, you, are you asking him to are – are you saying should he start? Should he – I mean, I, I to me, I, I know the Bengals, at least the former offensive line coach, seemed to be really high on this kid. Um, I know Matt Minnick really liked the kid as well, but – you know, it was real up and down. Granted, he was a rookie. It was real up and down when he was in the, in the lineup. And I, I've said this before. I think the Bengals need to be say like, you know, for most of the spots on the offensive line, they need to get the guy. They need to not have so much little. Wow, well, this guy could be in the mix, and this is kind of open, or what? They need to get studs at a couple of these positions. And I think that's what happens when you use potentially a top five pick on the, on an offensive lineman, or maybe a top, you know, the the pick atop the second round on, because it's a pretty deep class at certain spots on the offensive line. So, I mean, there's that use a free agency pick. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta invest heavily on the offensive line and I I like identity. I like what he brings, but for now, for me, he's kind of a spot starter can play a couple of different spots on the line. And, that that's kind of where I'm at with him at this point. I don't I don't know that we're saying let's ink him in as a starter on on this offensive line right now.
2: When it comes down in September to deciding how many offensive linemen are kept, he's going to have the advantage of being a great athlete and being able to play multiple spots. That's going to help him. Um, it sucks that he's gone through. I think Matt pointed this out, like at least four different offensive line coaches since he enrolled in Kansas, including going from Jim Turner to now Frank Pollock. We don't even know what that does on a guy's development who's that young, um, but his his tools and his youth, they, they give him an upside over get other guys that the Bengals keep on the roster. So I, I expect him to stay and just be a, a backup. And if he has to start, then, you know, I hope it goes well for him.
0: I found your video. I put it in the live chat. It, it threw me off a little bit because the intro graphic was Mel Kuyper Jr. and Corn Rose, Corn Rose, I think. So that was, that was the first image on it. So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know it specifically just at first glance. but uh, very That
2: photo has been in my camera roll for like three years. Uh, I love it every time I see it.
0: It's a good one. It's a good <laughs> one for sure. Uh, we've got some text. Let me see what we got here coming through. With the offense, this is from 403 area code. With offensive linemen being a premium position, what happens if all the guys we have our eyes on get resigned or franchise tagged? What is the next plan of action? Um, since we're we're going real heavy talk on offensive lineman. Um, I mean, I think at this point then, then you know, if you're, I would assume the talk is, what if Daryl Williams resigns? What if Taylor Moton gets franchise tagged? What if Scherf asked too big of a Scherf and or Tooney asked too big of a price for a team that doesn't like to pay guards and the Bengals are they're kind of sitting on their hands saying, Well, we didn't do much to improve our offensive line. Well, their course of action, John, I think would be either to do what they have often done and get veteran journeymen on rental deals to try and come on and be a band-aid, which has come with mixed results, and that's being polite. So that would be one, or or we kind of just say, I mean, I, I, I use this phrase kind of tongue-in-cheek, a quote-unquote boring draft where the Bengals are just basically going heavy on offensive line, potentially defensive line, and doing kind of the meat and potatoes stuff as opposed to the skill positions. That's really the course of action if they really truly want to improve their offensive line and miss out on some of the top guys in free agency.
2: If they don't get the top guys, I think they'll still sign – like guys that they would feel comfortable starting. Now uh, it might not be the high end guys that, that we've that we've talked about, but I think they're still going to go in the draft where they're not thinking to themselves we need to take a an offensive lineman or two in the first couple rounds. Um but I think we we talked about <coughs> excuse me. Like Tooney and uh Darrell Williams because they're gonna be in situations where they're probably not going to be brought back. Like there's logic in um their former teams allowing them to test the market because of where they're coming from, what their cap situation is like. So like those options aren't just options because of the top options, but because they're likely to become available. So I do think that they're going to have a chance to do that. But also with last year, like they were um, last off season, they were pretty heavy on getting like a linebacker, not, not a Corey Littleton, but like a, a Nick, I cannot say his name. Kwiatkowski. I think he went to the Raiders. Yeah, um,
0: Kwiatkowski. Yeah, yeah.
2: And and then they were they were on the the uh, Joe Sherbert uh, negotiations, and he went to Jacksonville. So they struck out on two linebackers that they targeted. So like, all right, let's just use the money that we saved and get DJ Reader and Trey Williams. I think if they don't get like the the high end offensive lineman that, that they're targeting, they could do something like that, where either they go out and get like an edge rusher, they get a cornerback, or maybe get a wide receiver. So I think we're still going to see their cap space be utilized kind of like it did last year if they don't get an offense lineman. But again, if they don't get a top tier offense lineman, we can definitely expect uh, that position to be addressed in the draft early.
0: Yeah. I, I, they're going to, they're going to do what they can there. I think they've kind of have some egg on their face in terms of their franchise quarterback getting hurt and not d- kind of doing a little bit above the bare minimum, I guess. I mean, they did pick Jonah Williams at 11 overall. They, you know, they they've invested some, on the on the offensive line but they've either been bad investments or not heavy investments enough so uh heavy enough investments so you know I, I, something's going to change this year whether it's paying a guard whether it's investing heavily in the draft it, something's going to change uh, for sure uh, up front so where are we going next john
2: uh let's get this five one three text he's asking besides the draft what do you guys think of duke tobin he has missed on special talents
0: yeah there is a follow-up Uh, Also kind of tying into that an email from Bruce kind of saying that we all know the Bengals have not drafted well the last five or six years. Duke usually gets much of the blame, but is the problem the system they use that relies so heavily on the coaches to do the scouting. Wouldn't a position coach tend to overrate a player in his group in hopes of drafting a player he wants? For example, John Ross, Drew Sample, Michael Jordan, Malik Jefferson. So kind of tying those two questions in together there. And I think Bruce brings up a good point. One we talked about with Tim McGee when he was on our show is just, you know, it's it's a very heavy reliance on the coaches in doing kind of the getting their hands dirty in the scouting process. Coaches are always involved in the scouting process, to my knowledge, but when you have a more paltry scouting department in terms of how it's staffed, there's just more pressure on it. And Tim McGee corroborated that in terms of what Marvin Lewis had to juggle when he was head coach of this team. So, I mean, I, I don't know about the position coaches tending to overrate certain players aspect and pounding the table for some of them. But I really do think it it has at least appeared so that this organization really, really respects. And for some reasons, rightfully so there are the, the say of their offensive line coaches, they seem to, I mean, Paul Alexander was here for a very long time. Paul Alexander. Yeah. There's kind of some, some bad picks and, other projects that did not work out, but he did oversee some of the best offensive lines this team has ever seen in the Carson Palmer era with Levi Jones and Bobby Williams and Willie Anderson and, you know, Steinbach others. So, I mean, he's, there's a reason that Paul Alexander is respected around the league and stuck around for a long time. And I think that the Bengals do respect what their offensive line coach is saying and maybe say, and maybe to a fault. And that's, we can go to Jim Turner these last couple of years and, I think Jim Turner and Zach Taylor in unison preached to the organization that they believe that they can coach up some of the guys that they have on this roster to be effective starters, whether they drafted them, whether they're free agent cast offs or what have you. And it just didn't work. It just didn't, it didn't work effectively. And that's just maybe a little theory of my own, but I, I do think there is something to be said about, you know, the Bengals getting a few more scouts flip side of the argument, John, Maybe you have too many voices in the room, (laughs) too many, uh, too many generals, not enough soldiers, I guess, uh, in the room instead of, you know, it's just kind of that flip side of the argument. I don't know.
1: With
2: Duke, like, I think we always kind of thought that, like, he's not the actual, like, because they won't give him the title of GM, we kind of thought that he's not really a GM, you know, but the more that I've heard about it, the more that it kind of points to Duke being essentially the GM having all of those responsibilities i I don't know why they don't give him the title i guess it's to minimize the liability on him i don't know regardless he's obviously a close friend of of the organization being bill tobin's son he's been there a long time he has a job for life but i do think that me and him we kind of share like similar philosophical um, views about how to evaluate prospects and how to build teams i think i I respect him in in that right and also like we've we've always talked about you know the Bengals coaches they, they do the a lot of scouting work and they do a lot of uh, prep in terms of just building the team more so than other coaches. But also I have heard that there are more than like two scouts that the Bengals list on their website. I don't know why they don't list them either. Like it's it's like they're more secretly a more regular franchise than than they lead on. They have more (laughs) than just two scouts and they have a guy who basically does all the GM work. They just don't like to give him credit for that. So I think things are more um, normalized than what they lead on to be. And I think the Duke does most things right it's just that the misses are so bad yeah. and some of them were so predictable that they're just stains on his resume then we always kind of go back to that but personally i think when it's all said and done i, th- I think he's still a, a fine guy for the job and it, it, you know it, it, would just, it would just it would just help more if like the top investments were actually hits instead of misses
0: yeah and i go, i mean you go back to certain things where i, I think i think to your point a little bit I, I don't have a, a massive problem with Duke. There's just the misses the misses have been egregious, and unfortunately, they seem to mostly be on the offensive line, which has largely put the Bengals where they've been the last five plus years, right? So, you know, I, I think I, I think from a draft standpoint, a little bit of inflexibility, which is kind of ingrained in the DNA of this franchise. Um, a little bit of inflexibility, and I go back to what I said about the offensive line coach and and the sway they may have in the draft room. I mean, look at the Russell Bodine thing, right? I mean, Tape was eh, and the but what but what they liked, he was a mauler and he was a guy that had massive upper body strength. But we all know he wasn't a very good football player. But Paul Alexander believed that he could coach him up and be an effective center, and when that offensive line was pretty good, he was most decidedly the weakest link on that on that offensive line so there's just some inflexibilities and maybe maybe too much of you know adhering to a player profile and not really being as flexible as you would need um you go you know the billy price pick there were some some red flags there then and they just pigeonhole themselves there and i think you may agree with this john the fact that the Bengals a lot of times talking about the billy price pick they don't move up for the impact players. That's the big thing for me. And I think when you don't, when, when you're inflexible in terms of moving up, you see a guy that you know is just going to be an effective player and you sit back and you wait and just because you hope you get the value, that doesn't always work. And you saw that when the Lions leapfrogged them to get Frank Ragnow and they sat and kind of settled for Billy Price and that's been something that's that's bit them. So that's, that's another facet, I think, in terms of the draft that I, I think is really something they need to change.
2: Yeah, I think for the most part, though, like it, it's not always the best idea to trade up assets for like a non-quarterback, and that's something that I yeah. personally agree with. But there are some cases where if you are dead set on Frank Ragnow and he's there two picks away, and the team ahead of you is potentially targeting offensive line, that is a situation where you can probably sacrifice a fourth round pick. There are there are definitely ways that you can do that, but I I, I do agree that it's not something that you always have to be able to do i I guess because i i think that accumulating resources is a little bit better than going out and getting a a high-end player who might not be a quarterback so there are some situations though i would rather see them doing that though
0: yeah i mean there are exceptions to rules and i mean i'm not saying they need to do it all the time but there are times where they have let effective players go in front of them or they have moved back to accumulate more picks and effective players go and then they're kind of like, well, okay, we, a lot of the guys we thought we would, would be here when we moved back, none of them are here. So um, it's just, you know, there are examples of that. And, but, you know, overall, I think to, to our, our friend, uh, John, his point um, this last year's draft class was ranked high by PFF standards. I think it was tops by in their in the class by PFF standards. So, you know, they, they did pretty well, hard, hard. Hard to screw it up too bad when you have the top pick in, in every round. But, um, you know, I mean, it was ranked very high, so they they hit on a lot of players there. Hopefully, some of the guys in the previous year end up coming to fruition, but that that's looking a little sketchy. We'll see what happens this year. Where are we going next, John? Was it your turn or my turn? I kind of forgot. We went on a tangent there.
2: Uh, I, I went last, but just real quick. Someone in Ty- Tyler Theus's life, go give him a hug. I think he's going through right now. <laughs> yeah, he's...
0: Um, He's a, he's a little cynical on the Bengals. That's okay. He's probably been a fan for a long time. I know how that goes. How, with Burrow, this is a text from 305. With Burrow in place, how long does a window stay open for Super Bowls with complimentary pieces to be added? Um, to me, I think the window, had he not been injured this last year, the window should be really starting to open this this year two, maybe a, a bit, year three for sure. But you want that window opening with that rookie contract, because with that rookie contract, you're able to then manipulate your roster a bit more, spend money elsewhere to supplement other pieces of the roster where you're deficient. And the lack of a huge contract to the quarterback allows you to do that because it's, you know, unless Burrow, for some reason, either God forbid does not come back from that injury or just ends up not being as effective as we all thought and hoped the Bengals are going to try and just throw, bank rolls at him so uh at this point in time what you would like to do is supplement the roster with a little bit more expensive contracts because you have a manageable contract at quarterback so ideally that's that's the case and then you know you keep it open throughout his most of his career but does this team spend the money is burrow going to be okay or is it going to is this injury going to set him back a little bit i don't know
2: well they they always have to sean watson look at who also suffered a torn ACL and midway through his rookie year. I think the window for any team with a rookie with a quarterback on a rookie contract starts in year two. It's just really hard to expect a lot from true rookie quarterbacks, and then it begins in year two. But you know, if they don't manage it right after year four, when that extension comes, that's when it starts. To, that's when it starts to close. But of course, the Chiefs are here in the Super Bowl year after they gave Mahomes like half a billion dollars because they they were able to structure that in a way or they don't have a ton of, it it was very weird how they structured it because they basically um, put the guaranteed money in a lot of like roster bonuses that activate like a year before. So it gives them, (coughs) excuse me, a a way to basically like manage it and like convert to signing bonuses if they need space. And then they're able to sign like Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey to also market level deals for their position. So you can, you know, manage the cap six ways a Sunday, And keep your top players. It doesn't have to be just when your quarterback is making, you know, eight million dollars a year. But for the Bengals case, because we've never really seen him do that before, you know, the window starts really starts next season. If your quarterback is not competing, at least competing for the playoffs in his second year, you're doing something wrong from an organizational standpoint. It should begin next year and it should be wide open until like 2023 before he gets an extension.
0: What are you are you seeing? Some here, I'm, I'm looking at what we...
2: Yeah, I wanted to get back to um, AI a couple a couple minutes ago on YouTube. He's asking, what is our opinion on signing more of an elite center like a Corey Lindsley or Alex Smack instead of maybe a top-end guard? Also rumored that, Travis, that Jason Kelsey may be released. I'm not sure about that rumor. I heard about that, but there wasn't really anything behind it. But yeah, I think if you get a Lindsley and, and he's a little bit less expensive than... Um, like a Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf. I think that makes sense because right now you have Billy Price as your starter. We don't know when Trey Hopkins is coming back, but even if Hopkins comes back, you're more confident than obviously in Lindsley. He was just an all pro at that position. He's still, I think in his late twenties. So he's got a couple more years of high end play. I think a top end center is almost just as valuable as a top end guard. And if he's less expensive, it kind of opens up what you can do. And once Hopkins comes back, you can, you can, place them at guard and expect at least average play and I think that's really all they need so it it would be it would be wise in my opinion if they were ready to go out and get him.
0: that I, I do think it would be wise as well especially if you know they should be keeping a very close pulse on what's going on with Trey Hopkins you know I, I you now got essentially your offensive battery your center and <laughs> your center and your quarterback coming back from major knee injuries and that is just not not ideal not ideal for a lot of different reasons, continuity and effectiveness and all kinds of different situations. That is just not ideal. So Trey's was obviously much later in the year than Joe's was. So there may be, you know, a little bit of an extended timeline, obviously, you know, he's, he's a bigger guy than Joe. So there's just a different rehab process. that goes with that as well. So it's just something to monitor, but there, yeah, that, that is something they will probably need a contingency plan there. And if, Trey Hopkins is not ready Week One. Whether it's a you know a veteran guy that's just kind of floating out there that can help you, you know, keep afloat for the first month or what have you, it's it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Uh, Mister Whisper, we talked about this. Do you trust Trey Wayne's to be our number one corner if William Jackson the Third is not retained? I don't. Uh, no, <laughs> based on sample size, uh, no. Um, I, I think he, I think the plan that they had in place last year at cornerback was very, very good. William Jackson's your one corner. Trey Wayne's is your number two corner. Mackenzie Alexander is your slot corner. I think if you had it in that pecking order, that would have been a very solid trio going forward. Now, Trey Wayne's is a good player. Trey Wayne's has a a lot of things going for him that, that they probably overpaid for him. I mean, he's got a big, big cap figure this year. Um, and the fact that he didn't play a snap for him last year was not just a, just a really, really <laughs> hard thing for the defense, for sure. But I, I don't know that I trust him right now to be your true number one. And it, it also depends on your definition, number one. Are you talking about lockdown, shutdown, cornerback? Um, I, I think he's fine, but ideally, I think you would still like to have William Jackson as your top corner. Trey Wage is your number two and then you'd have, you know, a decent slot corner, maybe a mix in Darius Phillips there as well.
2: I go back to the last offseason when this deal was announced. I'm like, this is not exactly a great deal. And everyone kind of got on me like, oh, what are you talking about? This guy doesn't miss tackles. He's just Dre, but with better tackling. Like, that's not worth $14 million a year. That's not worth $16 million guaranteed. It never made any sense. He was never that type of player. And now he's down a year, and now he's even closer to age 30. Trey Wins is a great guy. We had him on our show. I think he's a great personality and stuff. But that's already what they think of him. Like, they wouldn't pay him that contract if they didn't trust him to handle all the responsibilities that come with being a top end starting cornerback that can take out a team's number one option. That's never really been him, even with in a defense that was coached by Mike Zimmer. So that's where they are. Like that's their opinion of him. He's got two years left on his contract and that's, that's what they're going to expect from him. And that probably should have told us a little bit about what they thought about William Jackson to sign a guy like Trey Wayne. to so that contract, when they knew that William Jackson was entering the last year of his deal, like kind of, you know, create some writing on the wall for William Jackson, but kind of where we are and until we see him play like somebody as he's never been before i think there is going to be uncomfortable with it Yeah, let's
0: uh, we're going a little long um i I, we've got a couple questions john about tight end um and and i know you had another I'll, i'll throw this link in here another interesting video that you put out on kyle pitts and we talked kyle pitts on the super show last night so go check that out we had a text from 513 overall our offense looks to be set outside of the offensive line and maybe tight end. Do you see us trying to pick up another uh, wide out or running back in free agency or the late rounds of the draft? Um, and then there was a, a, I think it was an email um, from Timo in Finland saying hello and thank, and thank you for the show. What should the Bengals do with their tight end department, draft, free agency, etc.? So you've got now... You've got Drew Sample, who began to emerge at the end of the year. You've got C.J. Uzama, who's really started to become a nice little player but got hurt pretty early in the year. Um, so he's he's been out. And, you know, you've got Seathan Carter. You've got, you know, kind of just so, some other guys beyond that. Is this a position you think the Bengals need to stockpile? I, I think if the Bengals kind of settle someone on offensive line, maybe they get a, some wide receiver help and free agency. I think at five, then you go, give me Kyle Pitts.
2: Yeah, Pitts – like if they, they if they were to add like a, a tight end for the sake of getting an upgrade, like Pitts just makes the most sense out of anyone. I know there's like a couple other tight ends that people like in this class, but like none of them seem to be not only as good right now as Pitts, but as that has like the same high end potential as him. We also sure. had an email from I want to get to you from Philip Rogers, He's asking people talk about Kyle Pitts, you know, being this electric playmaker, but they already have Aud and Tate, So why not use and Tate in that role? The Bengals don't have anybody. Like Kyle Pitts, like Odden Tate may be 6'5", He moves like he's six five two seventy. 270. Like Kyle Pitts moves like he's six six two hundred. Like there's a right. difference in their play speeds. There's a difference in the versatility of what which you can use a guy like Kyle Pitts. He is a truly elite player. And if that's the direction that the Bengals want to take at five, and people talk about trading down, like if you're comfortable taking Kyle Pitts with the eighth overall pick, if you trade down, you would be comfortable taking him with the fifth overall pick in my right, opinion. I, I think that just, it, it makes sense if, if if he is the guy that they want to feature in this offense to take the hundred targets that AJ green is taking away from him, wherever he goes, it, it would be, it would be fine with me. He fits perfectly with, with what Joe Burrow is in terms of how he throws the ball and where he throws the ball. And when he does well, you know, throwing the ball downfield, like that would be a seamless transition and a guy that would contribute immediately. And the guy that would be a good player for a really long time, he's not even going to be 21 to October. He's just like Penae Sewell. So if that's the direction they want to take, that's fine but if, if they don't get Pitts, I don't see a reason why you need to go out and get someone less than Pitts because you already have Uzoma and Samuel. You can make that work if those are your two tight ends, but Pitts is a different level of playmaker.
0: I mean, imagine if you're able to get a Taylor Moton, a Daryl williams, or or you know one of these one of these tackles out there that'll you know potentially push Bobby Hart out of there and you put, you would think you have an upgrade at right tackle, right? You're getting Jonah Williams back. He's not coming off of surgery. He did have a, a pretty significant injury, but he's not he'll be back at left tackle. So you have your tackle spot settled you maybe sign a guy like a Curtis Samuel or something to bolster the wide receiver group to help you out there. Then all of a sudden you go into the draft and you go, well, we kind of checked a little bit of the boxes at wide receiver and at tackle. Maybe now we go Kyle Pitts at five and then we go offensive line in interior offensive line at the top of round two. Um, I would think that with all of the offensive deficiencies that were on display with or without Joe Burrow last year, I think if you kind of are able to achieve all of those things, you'd be feeling a lot better about that side of the football at that point and, and what you're able to achieve.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And like Pitts is labeled as a tight end, but again, you can use him yeah. in ways that you can't use. CJ Zoma and Drew sample, like you're going to be able to find the ways to get him on the field. Like his position should not limit him to just blocking as an inline guy, like the guys that they have now. And, and like we talked about last night, if you add Pitts to this, to this group, you don't have to have him be an inline blocker immediately because you have Yuzoma and Sample to do that for him. You know, you just put him wherever on the field that you want. He's been, he has experience in every single position that you can possibly imagine. Like, he will be fine.
0: You know what's, it's funny. I think people see the two letters T-E next to his name and they go, oh, it's not worth five. I, I think if you look at him more, like if you, if for you fantasy footballers out there, if you look at him as kind of, as his position is, quote, flex, If you look at him that way, then I think you go, okay, that makes a little more sense because you can split him out wide. You can put him in the slot and you can line him up in line, not necessarily to block, but you can line him up in line to play tight end. And you can do a lot of different stuff in the goal line. He will stretch the field with his size and speed for his size. I mean, if the Bengals take care of a lot of different needs in free agency, I'm like, that's the guy.
2: It's hard to go against him. It really is like either here chase. It's hard to go against it.
0: Anything else that we need to get to that we missed? Did we get any in the comment section here that we need to get to on the the website? I've been trying to monitor all kinds of different things here.
2: I believe we got all the ones that were submitted before the show. We had nobody go from the site. Is there any others in the comments here? Um...
0: Oh, by the way. Just saw this come up on Twitter. Here you go right here. Bengals land Kyle Pitts and latest NFL.com mock draft. So there you go. Um, that is, he has been labeled a quote generational talent and a matchup nightmare. So uh, this is from Lance Zierline who made this pick for him. So could be a viable guy. Could be a viable guy for him for sure. Any others we need to get to? Um, I mean there's a there's a real good one here by Joe Wharton. What is your perfect ideal offseason for the Bengals? That would probably take that that's a question for a, an entire episode, I think. Um
2: I don't know. What do you think? Uh I in like three bullet points, get two new starters on offensive line, get another weapon, make sure that the defense doesn't have any glaring holes. Glaring holes. They're going to have holes, but not like Jalen Davis that's slot in the back. Major Achilles heel type of thing, yeah. Uh,
0: this one from our buddy John, who are your sleepers in the draft later rounds? I mean, we got to do more research here as the, as the months go, go on, um, and we will do that. We will be getting you. Last year, if you joined us, we did a lot of free agency and draft profiles, um, so we'll be doing more of those. We already started the, the free agency stuff. So um, just one guy that I know, um, It's he's not late round. He's probably going to be maybe depending on how he works out, but um, probably a late night two or early day three at this point. Jay Tufele, you know, I like my USC guys, the defensive lineman, did not play this last year, a guy that isn't necessarily a household name, but you can move him around at a lot of different spots on the defensive line. So that's that's a guy I'm going to be doing some film stuff on, and I will share that with you. But, um, you know, I think had he played this year and played at the level that he was – playing before you'd probably say, hey round two for this guy all the way but um you know just with the with the year being what it was and um maybe some of these other guys showing up at this at the senior bowl and playing well um you know i think i think he may fall down the pecking order but he's a guy that is an interchangeable and movable piece on a defensive line that i think a lot of people would like any others that come to your mind there for a mid to late round guy where you go yeah that guy i've been kind of interested in that guy
2: Yeah, to to answer Tyler in Facebook's um, inquiry, Wyatt Davis would obviously be a great fit. Um, The thing is with him, I think he suffered a a knee injury during the national championship. And for anyone who has a questionable medical this year, it's going to be... I I don't know how the NFL is going to deal with that because the access that they're going to have to some of these guys' medical uh, reports is going to be a little bit... um, It's less accessible. They're not going to be at the combine, and they're going to have to try to... um acquired through like their pro days or whatever so like why davis could be fine but some teams may not be able to know that and it, it might be the Bengals. so he could easily be a great pick at the top of the second round but he could also fall to round three we have no idea we have we have no idea what that is going to be like for some of these guys who are entering this process uh injured i hope that he ends up going where he should but if he is there in on day two and the Bengals still need to guard he would make a lot of sense yeah
0: well, let's get on out of here, John. Thanks everybody for all the questions. We tried to get to as many as we can. Uh, there's still some uh, that we maybe did not get to. We apologize. We tried to get to as many as we can, but thank you so much for submitting them our way and for joining us. If you joined us last night or listened afterwards uh, for the super show with myself, John uh, Zim Hude, and Matt Minnick, That was a lot of fun. We're going to do a little bit more of those and we'll be giving you all kinds of coverage going forward with free agency, the draft, all kinds of stuff. So Keep it to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Keep it to com. John, have a good weekend, bud. Enjoy the Super Bowl. You got the Chiefs, right? Just for the record.
2: I got the Chiefs. I got the Chiefs. I don't I don't see that Buccaneers defense stopping him, but this is Brady, and I've seen him do stuff that I've despised, so he's probably going to do it again.
0: Yeah, I'd begrudgingly take take Tampa Bay, but uh, you know, I would not be surprised at all if I looked like an idiot there. So, Anyway, enjoy. Everybody enjoy your Super Bowl. Have fun. Be safe. We'll see you next time.